happy, again, happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, apparently everybody goes away during the weekend. Didn't invite me. That's fine. Uh, whatever. I'm not bitter. Uh, do you want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're an ongoing series looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, before I get into it, I'm going to give you just a second to uh, reach grab your Bible and turn over there. I, hey, don't forget about the midweek podcast. You know, that's, I think it's pretty cool and amazing, but maybe it's because I'm doing it. But anyway, it's a lot of humor, actually a little bit of humor, a lot of Jesus. Uh, don't miss out on it. Um, so Philippians chapter one, we're going to pick it up in verse 18 and read through uh, 26. So I grew up um, in a charismatic, like full-on Pentecostal church. Um, so if I hear murmuring from the kids, I'll just pretend I'm in a Pentecostal church. Okay, so it does not and will not bother me um, as long as they don't start doing a Jericho march, then I'm out, all right? So those are the ground rules. Um, see, all right, she's, she's amen to me already. All right, so we're gonna pick it up in verse 18, but like I call this verse 18b because we left off um, on what Paul was saying. Uh, where he's talking about, you know what, I don't care what's going on, I'm going to rejoice. And so we pick it up right here in verse 18b. All right, so read along with me. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. I am to live in the flesh. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better, no offense, Right? I inserted no offense. He didn't say that. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Man, that's a great verse to underline. So that in me you may have ample cause to glorify or to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me just pray over the reading of God's word this morning in our time together. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have spoken to us through your written word, your authoritative word of God. And I pray that it would just pierce our hearts and our souls, save us this morning who need to be saved into your kingdom, God, for those who don't know you. I pray, God, that you would heal, you would restore, and God, when we leave this place, may people say how glorious and great is our God and King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is writing this letter, and where is Paul again? Prison, yes. I love talkback. That's fine. His life is hanging in the balance, and his life is really in the hands of the Roman Empire. And there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of tension with the future that he has. Uh, he's in jail. He's in prison. He does not know when death is coming. We, he does know that death is coming, right? He knows this because he, when he departs the elders of Ephesus, he tells them, he's like, 
where I'm going, where the spirit is leading me, where I'm going is death and imprisonment. So he knows a little bit about what's going to happen. There's just a little bit of time lapse that's kind of leaving things uncertain for Paul. Anyone ever been in those situations where you're in an uncertain situation? Maybe it's with your health or with a financial issue, or maybe it's relationship uncertainty. Paul gets where you're at. I would suggest his uncertainty may be a little worse than yours, but who am I to judge uh, based on that? And so the interesting thing that I find Paul and what he continues to do in this is he continues to rejoice. Now, Paul, uh, if, if Matthew is Paul, which I'm not, um, if I'm in prison, I would, I would ask for some medication. I, I would ask for uh, and I, if I had a phone in prison, I don't think you can do that, but if I did, I would be uh, taking pictures of my condition, like, look how terrible this is, they're feeding me garbage, and I'd be posting that junk on social media too, like, look at me, look how terrible my situation is. All right, now come on now, we, we're not in prison, but we find ourselves when we're in those uncertain times doing the self-loathing things, Right? Oh, look at me. Look at my situation. Look how terrible my pain is. You don't know because you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. What does Paul do? Paul's like writing a letter. He looked, he acted like he on sabbatical, like vacationing it up in prison cell, writing. And what does he say? What does Paul have? Joy. He's in pre- prison and an incredible, uncertain time, and Paul says, yet I rejoice because of this. I'll continue to rejoice, and this actually could just be translated as, you know what? I'm going to rejoice, and again, let me just tell you one more time, I'm going to continue to rejoice. Like, it reminds me of, like, if you're ever in an argument with someone, and, like, you think of something, and you're like, oh, and one more thing. Right? Come on, y'all look like you're sanctified this morning, but I know you ain't. You know, that one thought, you're just like, oh, and one more thing, let me tell you, Miranda. I would never do that, by the way. Do you know how it is, like, when you're in an argument? That's kind of like what Paul is doing here. He's like, oh, and one more thing for you, Philippians. I'm going to continue to rejoice, and here's why. So if that wasn't enough for the advancement of the gospel, I'm going to continue to rejoice, and I'm going to tell you, why? And here's what Paul is saying. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. I love this verse. A lot of unpacking to do in this verse because it leaves me with some questions. He says that through your prayers and through the Holy Spirit, I will find my deliverance. Now, how, do we, how does Paul view prayer? That's a good question to ask when I read this. I find this asking this question like, well, how does Paul view prayer? Well, he kind of views it with great importance. Look what he says. He ties the idea of through your prayers and also through the Holy Spirit. Through your prayers and through your Holy Spirit. So it's it's kind of like this idea in the Greek that these two ideas are connected. They're joined together. And it could be read as through your prayers as a result. In the NASB, it says, the provision of the Holy Spirit will be there. Do you think your prayers can be effective? Look what is promised right here. For the saints 
who are praying, now comes the provision of the Holy Spirit. And you need the provision of the Holy Spirit to help you out in the morning. You need the Holy Spirit to give you just what you need in the moment, in the situation that you find yourself in. Then pray. How does Paul view prayer? He views it that it's so important that he knows that the supply of the Holy Spirit is going to come and meet him and give him everything that he needs to sustain him. How do you view prayer? Huh? This is how Paul views prayer, that there's power in it. Now, there's another question in here that I, I, I beg to ask because he says that through your prayer uh, and by this provision of the Holy Spirit, it will bring about my deliverance. Now, when I read that at first, I thought there's no way on God's green earth, Paul is saying that his salvation is hinged upon somebody else's prayer. What? That just seems like that's almost uh, heretical to believe that my salvation is dependent on someone else's prayer. Now, now, the idea of, of deliverance comes from the word uh, soterial, and this is where we get soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So, indeed, it does mean salvation, but is this, is this, does this mean that this is for his salvation from Christ? No, we know that his theology would teach that salvation comes from faith through grace by Jesus Christ, right? That's how we're saved. So there's this idea then that, that is this a, a past salvation or a present salvation where you're being sanctified or a future salvation where, where he will literally be delivered out of prison? I don't know. You've you got to understand in context because he'll explain what he means here. Um, when he says, for my deliverance, Paul was a scholar, y'all, like former leader, former religious leader. He knows his OT, all right? He knows his Old Testament, and this is just a direct quote from the book of Job, chapter 13, verse 16, where Job uses it not in God is going to save his life, but where God is going to vindicate him. Oh, man, that's, that's pretty powerful, because look what he says here. As it is my eager expectation in hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored. I'm not talking to you, Siri. Stop that. Christ will be, I'll just leave my hand back here. Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. So he's eagerly expecting that he will stand before a courtroom in front of some ruler, possibly Caesar, I don't know, maybe Nero or, or some Roman uh, authority. And here's what he's saying. I know whether by life or by death, I will be vindicated. What does vindicated mean? It means that it will stand to be true. Paul is tying his deliverance with the vindication of the gospel. He's like, I don't know. I could die or I can continue to live. It doesn't matter. I will be, the gospel will be vindicated. It will be made true. How do we know that this is going to happen? Well, if you don't know your, your, your Roman history, in just a few hundred years, the gospel is going to infiltrate the Roman Empire and take over. Did the gospel vindicate Paul? You better believe it did. 
where's the Roman Empire now? I don't know. Neither do you, because it doesn't exist. Who was vindicated then? Was it Caesar? Was it Nero? It's the gospel. Paul's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me personally, but I know the gospel will be vindicated. It will be true, and it will stand to be true in the face of Nero. And if you're Nero, like you just got ticked off. Oh, the gospel? Jesus is king? Ah, uh, nah, I'm king. And so this probably really irritates and ticks off Nero. And then we find this beautiful verse. This is a pearl in the Bible, right? For to me, look what it says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It would have been heard, to live is king, to die is king. To live is King Jesus, to die is King Jesus. This is probably the most quoted, highlighted, underlined, circled, bolded, tattooed, coffee-cupped verse ever. In fact, that just gave me a good idea for a tattoo, right? To live is king, to die is king. If we're not careful, we won't understand the weight of what Paul is saying here. He, he's sitting in jail, facing an uncertain, very possibility of death could be happening at any moment. And he's able to say, you know what? Both are my favorites. In fact, I don't know if you caught this, but he started doing this out loud written internal monologue debate about which he's going to do. Did you catch that? He says, you know, my desire is to part be with Christ. That's far better. No offense, right? Far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your count. So he's having this internal like debate, like which, which should I choose? Which would be better? To die as king? To live as king? To die as king? I don't, I can't, I don't know. Haven't quite figured it out yet. This should be wild for us if we just stop and think about this. For most of us, I would just kind of assume it would be a challenge to respond this way if faced with the same choice. Paul puts on display here that for those of us who are in Christ, we win either way. It's a win-win situation either way. If I serve Jesus, I win. If I die, I win. It's like he's torn between the two. But for Paul to live as Christ or to give everything he has for the sake of Christ, but to die is gain. I want you to notice how he interprets things based on its impact on others. Parents, it's okay. It's fine. It's all, it's all good. So listen to what he says. I want you to notice how he interprets things based on how it impacts other, other people. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Okay, this is really funny. Not me, just like the kids. They're funny. So before we get to this, like look, at, look back at verse 12. What does Paul say? I got put in prison unjustly, uh, but it's fine. Uh, the gospel spread. 
Remember how we talked about the idea how, how Paul's happiness is tied to the gospel and that's how he finds joy? So when asked the question, hey, Paul, because remember, the Philippians are checking on him. They're asking him, hey, Paul, how you been? We heard you're in prison. Nero, pretty wicked guy. Paul said, oh, man, the gospel's doing just fine. In verse 15, like a bunch of people lied about him. It's just some crazy stuff happening. And he, and he says, like, man, my joy is good. I've got joy. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And he talks about in chapter 4, he says, I'm not. And he's like, you need, you need to give. And he's not saying that you need to give because I need money. He's saying, I just want you to experience the blessing of giving. So notice again how Paul interprets based, things based on its impact on others. He says, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about myself in the moment. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen to me. I'm thinking about others that are around me. To to depart would be great. In fact, he says it's far better. But I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the impact that I can continue to have on others around me. Look at verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's saying, listen. If I stay, you better boast more in Christ. You better, you better shout the name that Jesus is king before Caesar. You better shout that Jesus is king before the Roman Empire. Tell of his goodness. Tell that Jesus Christ is king. Ezra wants Nora, apparently. I want to leave you with two final questions. Don't worry, I'm not closing. These are very long and thought-out questions that are going to take some time to unpack, Okay. So two questions. I want to take back on that verse, to live as Christ, to die as gain, that statement that Paul makes. Every one of us, we have a belief that is ingrained inside of us, and the idea is to live is fill in the blank. Um, regardless of whatever our theological convictions are, We have a to live is mentality. Let me explain. Some of us, to live is climb the corporate ladder. To live is gain more status in the community. To live is to finally get the spouse of your dreams. To live is, I mean, just insert what you think to live is means for you. Is it, is it to go on a hike, go on a hike in angels landing? Actually, that's to die is, to do that. And that's a bad analogy. But to live is, what is that for you? I want you to think about this for just a moment. Maybe even write down this thing, to live is, and then put a blank there. And what is that for you? To live is... Have more kids, said no one ever. To live is, I got to get a better education. To live is, make an impact everywhere I go. What is that for you? Like, think about that for just a second and answer the question, what does this look like for you? To live is, and you insert what that is for you. 
Now, before you answer the question, let me just throw a caution flag for you. Because for Paul, to live is Christ. If Paul was saying to live is, oh boy, I thought of a good one. To live is retire on the Mediterranean and have like this beach house. If that was Paul's idea, I got more amens there than any other time in my sermon. Thank you. Not really. Think about that. If Paul is here thinking in this prison cell and he says, you know what? To live is retirement on the Mediterranean. I got my beach house. I'm sipping a drink with a little umbrella on it. Don't worry. It's non-alcoholic. But to live is this. Don't you think Paul would be crushed in this moment because he's facing death? If Paul's to live is, is based on circumstantial things or earthly things, then Paul has no joy. But Paul is saying to live is for the king. I wake up in the morning and I breathe for the king. I wake up for King Jesus. I work my job for King Jesus. I raise my kids for King Jesus. I love my spouse for King Jesus. Everything Paul does is for King Jesus. What is your to live is? And I would just press, if it's not for Christ, then you'll be so disappointed in your life. Here's another question that I, that I actually that kind of wrestled through personally. I want you to look at verse 25. I, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, like underline, circle, whatever you have, for your progress and joy in the faith. For whose progress? Come on, for whose progress? yours. I really wanted Paul to say, I'm doing this for my progress. Whose progress are you working for? You know, because we, we are working people. We, we love to work for ourselves, right? We love to have things, and that means that I've got to work more for myself, work for my comfort, work for more things that will satisfy my comfort in the moment. That sounds easier, doesn't it? But what does Paul say? He's doing this. He's working for your progress, not for Paul's progress. When we started to think through 11, well, not 11 years ago, but a couple of years ago, of what it would look like to leave Georgia, we, we started out with this, this list of things that we had to give up. Uh, we, we, we were, I've been in Georgia and Bama, like, for, I was there for 38 years. We, I had a church that we started 11 years ago. All of our family was there right with us. All of the relationships that I had built and so on. You know, these are the things that were listed. We're listing down all of these things like, well, we'll disappoint probably family. We'll definitely disappoint some folk in our church. We'll probably disappoint a lot of people. And so we started making up all this list of the things that we had to give up and the things that were important to us. But then I started to think, 
what if this what we are giving up list kind of turns around and I thought about what would Utah give up if we went and planted a church? I'm not saying that narcissistically, like, like Utah needs me. No, I kind of actually added a couple of problems. One of them was Matthew and the other was Ezra, right? <laughs> I love you, buddy. I do. Like, really, though, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. I'm thinking about, like, like, what if we didn't come and plant another gospel-centered Jesus is the king exalted church in a state where less than 1% are evangelical Christians? What would Utah give up if someone decided, I'm not going to plant a church there, give up a lot more? than what I would have to give up. So here's what I would press on you with, is that instead of thinking through like, what do I have to give up? Maybe our mentality should turn the corner and say, what, instead of saying, what sacrifices do I have to make? What sacrifices will they make if I don't follow in the calling of Christ on my life? That's, good. That's the question. Whose progress are you working for? Let me tell you this real quick. Lost people will lose if you're not working for their progress. Utah will lose if more churches aren't planted. That's how we have to start thinking. And so we're working for their progress. I'm working for my spouse's progress. <laughs> Needs a lot of work. I'm kidding. I'm working for my progress. Spouses, think about that for a second. You know, because sometimes in relationships, it's about what my needs are right now that need to be met. Can you not work on me? But it's both for you spouses. Parents, you're working for your kids' progress. You're working for the people who are around you, their progress. Might what would Utah look like and our America would look like if we could just ask that question, whose progress are you working for? And here's something earth-shattering, yet the most freeing thing that you need to hear ever. And here's why this is so important. Life isn't about you. This is what Paul is saying. Life isn't about me. I would love to be in the presence of King Jesus, but I understand that you need me here. So I'm going to keep writing you. I'm going to keep texting you. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep encouraging you. I'm going to keep telling you that you need joy dug deep inside your bones. This is what Paul is saying. Whose progress are you working for? Now, if you feel completely overwhelmed by that, that's okay. Go back just a few verses and see what Paul says. I appreciate your prayers because now, because of your prayers, you have interjoined with God in his activity. And now the provision of the Holy Spirit has given me everything that he needs to give me to sustain me through this feel overwhelmed by living out your calling of Christ, by proclaiming Jesus Christ is king, that's fine. Holy Spirit will sustain you. This is perseverance that he promises you. Who are you working for? 
And what does to live is look like for you?